The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 67. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing I, Borg, the Next Generation story. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, please remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, And be sure to retweet it when we post it on Twitter at SQPN. And leave us comments. All that helps juice that social media algorithm thing so that people can actually see what they've asked to see from the social media companies. Uh, But we do appreciate it when you like, and especially when you comment so we can uh, talk about your feedback. So we really do appreciate it. Today we are talking about this episode, this fifth season, uh, the Next Generation episode called iBorg. No, it is not an Apple product, Uh, (laughs) the new new product from Apple Computer. No, it's it's it's, uh, iBorg. Let's talk about the name for a second. So yes. iBorg is a, it's it's sort of a triple pun um, mm-hmm. because it's based on Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Yes. Uh, you know, a cyborg instead of a robot. And iRobot itself, its name is based on the novel by uh, Robert Graves, I, Claudius, mm. which was a first person autobiography fictional, but based on actual Roman history, written allegedly by the Roman Emperor Claudius, who was on the throne during the time of the Book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And um and it's a really great read. Uh it it and its sequel sequel Claudius the God and his wife Messalina. I Claudius takes you from before Claudius's birth down to the moment that Claudius is drugged from behind the curtains and forcibly declared emperor by the Praetorian Guard that has just assassinated Caligula. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Claudius the God tells the story of Claudius's subsequent reign. And these were adapted in the 1970s by the BBC into an outstanding 13-part miniseries called I, Claudius, with the casting is just amazing. In oh, yeah. Including Patrick Stewart. Including Patrick Stewart, who plays right. Sejanus, the yes. would-be emperor who tries to knock over Tiberius. Uh, it also has, uh, starring as Claudius, it has um, Derek Jacobi, mm-hmm. who later played the master on Doctor Who, and it has Brian Blessed, who <laughs> played King What's-His-Name on Doctor Who, and mm-hmm. also Boss Nass in Star Wars. He played a lot lot of things very boisterously, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, John Hurt, who also plays oh. the War Doctor in Doctor Who. The War Doctor. He's Caligula. And uh, John Rhys-Davies, who you'll know from both Sliders and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, Mm -hmm. yes, amazing casting, yes. Uh, Yeah. Also, the third pun in the title or illusion in the title is cyborg, which is what the Borg are. Cyborg, knock off the sea, it becomes I-Borg. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the idea is, is, you know, that the Borg are a collective consciousness. There is no individuality within the Borg. Uh, okay. And so the idea that a Borg would say, I, yeah. is contradictory. And that's the it's point. It's like that silly uh, phrase you always hear in corporate. There's no I in team. Well, there's no I in <laughs> Borg either. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. In fact, this Borg only has one eye. Uh, so <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. So uh, what? So let's talk about what happens here, and, and uh, that. So they discover just as sort of as a quick recap, the Enterprise discovers an injured adolescent Borg on the surface of a planet. They bring him up to the ship, Moon. Uh, thank you, a Moon to be specific. They bring him up to the ship. Picard and Guinan have some troubles with this, uh, uh, the, and they put into motion a plan to use this Borg to destroy the Borg Collective. Um, and then the but this Borg starts expressing itself as an individual. Uh, this takes place. Just, so so are we done with the episode now? Yes, yeah. we're done. So thanks okay. for listening. No. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's not really much to say. No, uh, <laughs> the, it takes place um, after the events of Wolf three five nine and mm-hmm. when Picard was turned into Locutus. So he's carrying that burden through this. So you have to keep and, that in mind. And this is the first time since that, which was like the season three um season premiere yeah yeah that we've seen the borg they have not been back in that time and the reason was the writers were trying to figure out how do we bring the borg back in a way that doesn't undermine them because Mm -hmm. you get into the the problem that doctor who has with the master or that dc comics had with dr light you bring back this villain often enough he keeps losing he ceases to be a threat and right. so if the whole premise of the Borg is they're the unstoppable enemy that we can only barely escape, um, which is what happened in their first two encounters, mm-hmm. how do we keep bringing them back without making them much Boy, less of a threat, if, which if, is something Voyager would later yeah, do? Yeah, I was going to say, if, if only Voyager <laughs> would have taken that lesson, too, and used them sparingly, but no. Nope. Right. And yeah, the well, solution was yeah. you, you don't bring them back as an unstoppable mass force. You bring back one of them who can be vulnerable. Right, right, and and one of the other one of the things we're we're talking about this now because you know with next generation we're we're going from the beginning where the first season where the episodes weren't all that great and then we're taking episodes from sort of the middle of the run where the episodes are really good so uh, we don't have to spend all of our time for years in the not great part of next gen <laughs> yeah exactly. we don't want to inflict that on you but there's a reason we've picked this episode this this week that I Borg is because the events of this episode and the character of Hugh, who actually comes back in Next Generation later on. with, with Season the, six and seven. Yeah. Uh, but that character of Hugh is is apparently figures into the upcoming Picard series. Right. Uh, that there's some, somehow he's part of that series. And so we thought it would be nice to kind of review yeah. This this character and his and what what he's done in the series yeah. so far. So so Hugh's coming back, and this time he's personal. <laughs> <That's> oh, <right. laughs> so like I said, uh, the Enterprise is 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 in the Argolis cluster, which is a name that c- comes up several times in uh, in Star Trek. For some reason, they they like they like the Argolis cluster, and uh, it's a previously uncharted area. They're planning to colonize, uh, but they get this distress call, and they can't get good readings because you know that. Part reasons. Of the plot. <laughs> reasons. Yep. So they beam down and find a Borg scout ship that's crashed, uh, and there's only one life form with weak, si- you know, life signs. A lone injured Borg. Now Picard and Riker. Picard's on the ship. Riker's on the scene. 
They want to abandon the Borg drone before more Borg show up. But Beverly Crusher, she wants to stay and treat him or at least stabilize his life signs. And it's it's very interesting because Picard and Riker, like, if we stay, we could all die. But Crusher mm-hmm. is like, you know, he may die anyway, but I, I need to treat him. What is the right thing to do here? What is the moral thing to do here? I don't know that there's a clear answer. Um, right. I just like the fact that Beverly is like, I will bend you all to my medical ethics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'll have to beat me out of here kicking and screaming. Yeah. She just goes ahead and starts like one of the arguments is if we start if we treat him, the Borg will know we've been here. And she's like, we already crossed that bridge as she's waving the thing <laughs> over his face to heal his cuts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That That's one of the things that kind of uh, comes up with Beverly Crusher over and over again is, is she's she's about, you know, she her Hippocratic oath. She's ready to treat the the ill, the wounded. She, that's what she's about. You know, the, the bigger things. Well, you're the captain. You you'll have to worry about the consequences of that. But mm-hmm. I'm doing the right thing here. Yeah. Well, that's that's very fitting for you know. You look at military officers who are medical, and you know that's part of the understanding is if they're in war, and there's an enemy soldier that they are to that they are to treat, they're to treat that enemy soldier. You know, right. and it it's that's kind of a known thing. Now that that being said, they're still serving their country. But if there's someone in front of them that they need to treat, they need to treat them. The and as a rule, that's good and that's what humans should do, but I'm not sure that applies to the Borg because mm-hmm. the Borg don't have free agency the way humans do. Mm-hmm. Um, Borg are essentially like a robot. I mean, it's a meat puppet, but it's mm-hmm. they're essentially robots uh, in terms of their functioning. They do not have free will, they will try to harm you if they can. And if I found a disabled battle bot on the battlefield, I don't think I would be morally obliged to repair it uh, because then I'm just restoring a dangerous thing to a, to a state where it can be actively dangerous again. But isn't that really precisely the, the point of this episode is that Borg are not merely meat puppets, but they're more akin to slaves, brainwashed slaves? Well, so that's the that, and I was gonna. I, I figured we'd talk about this a little bit later, but um, okay. because there are more moral issues that come up that are related to this, mm-hmm. the real question is: um, Are there alternatives? If the Borg are as they have been perceived to be up to now, utterly lacking in free will, there's no way to negotiate with them. They will harm you in the future. Um, they then you can treat them like robots. Um, okay. or enemy combatants who are who are active actively hostile if there are alternatives though like maybe we can do something shy of genociding their whole race by giving them a glimpse of individuality and maybe we can use that in the future to negotiate a peace with them mm-hmm. then you may or may not be morally obliged to explore those alternatives because even then you've got a question of What's the cost going to be to pursue those alternatives? So even if hypothetically you could a thousand years from now negotiate a peace with them, that doesn't mean that you have to do that morally because right. the cost might be letting your own civilization fall and billions of people die over the course of that thousand years mm-hmm. to get to that point. So right. there's a cost-benefit analysis that has to be done. And they're operating in a data vacuum. They don't have. They don't know 
to what extent these things are possible. And so operating on the assumption that we just have to be practical for right now, it is not foreseeable that we can ever negotiate with these people. And they are actively hostile, all of them. There are mm -hmm. no civilians. So it's legitimate to treat them all as enemy combatants and deal with the threat now to save our own lives. Right. Yeah, we'll get, and like you said, we'll, th this comes up uh, through the course of the episode, so we'll, we'll be revisiting the, these, these ideas. Uh, I like the fact that unlike Riker and Picard, who want to kill the drone by negligence, Worf's like, yeah, let's kill him. <laughs> yeah. Let's just, just, just put a phaser to the head and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or knife him in the neck. It's yeah. he's the Leela of uh, Star Trek. Yes. Uh, that... But that seems to spur Picard to say, wait a minute, we should beam him aboard. Like, that seems to change Picard's mind. Worf's sort of bloodthirsty callousness toward the... It, it, it reminds him of, uh, you know, well, we're supposed to actually help people. Maybe we, yeah. could, we could do something with him. Um, but, by the way, notice Patrick, uh, Patrick Stewart's acting here. As soon as yeah. Riker tells him that there's a Borg down on the planet and that's what we found, mm -hmm. he silently has a panic attack. Yeah. yeah. You know, he just communicates it with his face. It's he just like, kind of stiffens he, up and it's like, there's a problem yeah. here. And even Data can sense the, the emotional turmoil in the captain. You know, as, as he leaves the bridge, uh, you know, he kind of looks at Troy and Troy's like, yeah, okay. And then she follows uh, Picard into his ready room where he's like, nope, I'm Hi, fine. Let's, let's talk. No, <laughs> let me totally shut you out. Yeah. <laughs> right, oh, no, right. I'm fine. It's all good. Everything's good here. Nothing's no wrong. No problems. <laughs> But he he starts thinking about implanting a, a Borg drone virus and, and really killing the collective with this virus that they could you know by putting putting it in the drone, sending the drone back, shutting down the the, the Borg computers, which would kill all the drones. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, is this a, the sort of thing that a lone captain would have the authority to authorize? Uh, a, essentially, a genocide of the of the Borg collective. And a first strike on an alien species. If this doesn't work, retribution may be severe. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it, yeah. Ideally, one would call Starfleet about this plan first, but I guess the argument would be this is a, this is a unique opportunity. Mm -hmm. it's a, you have emergent circumstances, and we're way too distant in this unexplored colonizable region to consult Starfleet in a timely manner. So he has the authority to launch. Right. Mm, it it reminds me of, of, you know, in the Age of Sail in the early 1800s, you know, ship captains would be so far out of contact that right. they'd have to make decisions on their own. Um, so Crusher alone argues against this total war. You know, mm -hmm. and, you know she's told, they're, they're, they've declared war on our way of life. And she replies, but even in war, there are rules. Uh, mm. but, and I do want to know that and she, she cites then you don't kill civilians indiscriminately, which is right. true. That's one of yep. the rules of just war. The rejoinder obviously is no there Borg are, no are civilians. civilians, right? They're yeah. all combatants. Uh, and I, I, I do want to you know, like in the movie First Contact, uh, is it First Contact? Yeah, First Contact, where they encountered the Borg in the past. Picard is even more ruthless. I mean, he is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, He's you know psychotic against the the uh, Borg in that one. I mean, he really goes goes to town on them. You know the yeah. the, whole, the famous here yeah, and no further. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I love when Quark gives a version of that speech to defend the Ferengi way of life. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I also I also like how in this episode how they talk about the virus he wants to introduce because this is early enough in computer technology when next gen was made, starting yeah. in the eighties, that. 
the word virus wasn't yet universally in the popular consciousness yeah. as a computer thing. So like when whenever they talk about viruses in next gen, they don't call them viruses. They call them invasive programs. Right. right. And so it's like, could you maybe set up an invasive program that we could put in Hue to invasive <laughs> the collective? And Jordy's like, oh, it would act like a virus. It's like, yeah, that's what people who know about computers actually call them. Exactly. <laughs> of course, my, my thought is, uh, OK, so the Borg doesn't have an invasive program uh Protector, doesn't have no yeah, virus protection. <laughs> I know, yeah. Just like the Enterprise didn't. The Enterprise didn't have vi any virus software, and it got yeah. taken over multiple Although, times. <laughs> yeah, it does come up that they say that the when they the drone would be brought back, it would be wiped. So yeah. the hope is, is that they could sneak something in before the wipe. So they have some yeah. protocols, perhaps. Uh, but Picard says, you know, where and this goes to what you were saying before, Jimmy. He said, "There's a line." He says. We're faced with an enemy who's determined to destroy us, and we have no hope of negotiating a peace. Unless that changes, we are justified in doing anything we can to survive. Mm -hmm. Yep. As long as that's as long as those circumstances remain true, you mm -hmm. that's that's correct. So the real question is, do those circumstances have to remain true? Okay. Uh, right. Certainly not anything. Again, there are some rules that you, some some lines you can't cross, like you know attacking civilians, that sort of thing. Yeah. I do want to note that Crusher here, like everyone is, like Crusher's just kind of standing alone in in her viewpoint, including Troy, who's sort of on this on Picard's side. Uh, but Crusher is very much looking at the Borg drone here, like a mom. She sees what she sees is an injured, scared adolescent boy, right? Mm -hmm. Because she is the mother of an adolescent boy. Mm. You know, they missed an opportunity here in the writing uh, where, given that Troy is on board with the let's genocide the, the Borg mm -hmm. plan, um, Dr. Crusher could have had a scene with her and said, are these really your feelings? You're supposed to be compassionate. Are these mm. genocidal feelings really yours or are you being affected by the feelings of those around you. Right. Mm. And that would have posed a nice character moment for Troy to reexamine herself. Yeah, they, they never really, that's nothing they really ever talk about at all. And I mean, they've, they've had scenes where she's affected by emotion, but as far as her reasoning, you know, that's something mm -hmm. they really never covered in Next Gen at all, that how it affected yeah. her reasoning. Yeah, early on, they kind of ruined her with the whole, I sense great sadness. And that was, you know, and then she'd look teary-eyed. But they really could have done something with with it to make it more of a that she it's she has to keep up these emotional shields in a sense, yeah. and and to show times when maybe those shields weren't enough. I think that would have been yeah I agree I, I think that would have been a nice character moment. Uh, then we have this scene where uh, Picard and Guinan are in the Enterprise's fencing gym because the Enterprise is apparently massive with all these extra rooms. Well, and yeah. uh, they're uh, they're they're fencing. And she's upset because she doesn't like that he brought this Borg on board because, as we know, Guinan is from a race of people who have been um, decimated. Their home planet was wiped out by the Borg. Right. And they're now refugees throughout the, you know, spread throughout the galaxy, those who are left. Um, and she's, so she harbors very ill feelings against the Borg. And she teaches him a little bit of a fencing lesson about feeling sympathy for an opponent. She kind of fakes an injury to her leg. And when he goes to help her, she scores a point on him with her foil. Yeah. You felt sorry for me. Look where that got you. <laughs> yeah. That's that's cold, Guinan. That's cold. 
one thing is, you know, that that we probably should mention specifically, although I'm sure everyone understands, Hugh, and eventually with this Borg is going to name himself Hugh, uh, is the forerunner of Seven of Nine in Voyager. Yeah. I mean, yep. this is sort of, the, Voyager kind of steals this concept and turns it into, from an adolescent teenage boy to a, a beautiful woman. A lady in a cat suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They missed they missed the trick with in next gen, but they 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 saw that when they got to Voyager, and Jordy's you know talks to, to him. They're doing these um, scanning his command pathways. They're checking trying to figure out how to get the virus in him. Um, talks to him about being a a singular being, an individual, and starts connecting with him on that level. And they get to know him, and they start to see him as a person, not just a drone. And you see that subtly in the in the writing. Where, like for example, Jordy Beverly has always called him he, but Jordy starts shifting from calling him it to he, and you know there's that that shift in pronoun and in way we talk about things personalizes him, and so Jordy is feeling this turmoil in himself. Like I, I don't like that I'm starting to feel sympathy for this drone, and goes, where do you go? Well, you could go to Troy. But you go talk to the bartender, too, and so he goes to yep. Guinan, which seems to be the wrong thing to do here. Yeah. So in this process, what they're doing is they're running perceptual tests. So initially, after they get Hugh medically repaired, he's like wandering around his cell and exploring it. And they're like, what is he doing? And it's explained he's searching for a power outlet so he can get the food he needs, he can get the energy he needs to run his internal replicators mm -hmm. to get, because they don't eat regular food. And um, so then Jordy announces that they've used access to power as a way of encouraging him to cooperate so that he learns if he cooperates, he gets the power he needs to eat. If he doesn't cooperate, he's going to go hungry. And they need him to cooperate because in order to figure out how to introduce a virus, they need to run perceptual tests on him, and they need him to report answers accurately. So they need him to cooperate with them. And so they're running these tests, telling, and they're lying to him. They're telling him, oh, we just want to make sure you're all fixed, when that's mm. not really what they're doing. Right. And Jordy and the doctor are both involved, because it's in both engineering and medicine. Yeah. And uh, the doctor is still opposed to what they're doing. And I'm thinking, shouldn't your medical ethics be telling you to recuse yourself? Mm. Right. But I, I mean, they could finesse that in the writing by not saying I'm totally opposed, but I just am not confident of this. I, I feel uh, uncertain about this. And then that starts to transfer to Jordy as he learns more about this figure, whose initial designation is three of five mm -hmm. or a third of five instead of seven of nine. And the actor who's playing third of five really sells this, despite the fact he's repeating Borg ideology, like you will be assimilated and resistance is futile and all that kind of stuff. He's saying it in a way that really communicates uncertain adolescent. Yeah. Like he's, right. he's, he's out of his element. He is not comfortable with all this. He is scared on some level. And I really like the way that even though the Borg ideology is there, the actor sells it as I am a scared teenager. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, as part of that process, uh, he gets his name Hugh, where the they're explaining their designations. I'm Jordy, I'm Beverly. And he, he then says, do I have a name? And this is a slip in the script, 
where he uses mm-hmm. a, fir- a singular first-person yeah. pronoun, mm-hmm. and they caught it, but the scene had already been filmed, so they couldn't go back and fix the I to do we have a name. Oh, sure. Um, and Beverly says, you, and then Jordy comes in with this ridiculous, oh, that's it, Hugh, instead of you, mm. and and that becomes Hugh's name. So <laughs> I'm Beverly, I'm Jordy, we are Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> You're you. Uh, so uh, so Jordy then is, like I said, he's he's getting this this attack of conscience because what they're going to do is not only going to destroy the collective, it's going to destroy this individual now that he's connected mm-hmm. with on an emotional level, that he's named. As soon as you give something a name, someone a name, you have created an emotional connection. And he goes to Guinan for some help. Uh, she's a good listener, and she'll she'll give you good advice. But Except Guinan gets mad. She's mad that Jordy is starting to feel sympathy for Hugh. I mean, she's, because this is, this is an evil machine that has destroyed her people. Uh, so it, it's a, that's an interesting moment, and Jordy kind of takes he's kind of taken aback by it, um, mm-hmm. and and leaves that 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 conversation unsettled. And he um, totally burns her. It's like, yeah. why don't you talk to him? And it's like, I wouldn't have anything to say. Well, then why don't you listen? That's what you're supposed to be the best at, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, meanwhile, Data detects another Borg scout ship coming, and it's thirty one hours away. So we we now have the now we clock. got the timer. Yeah, we got the timer. This is Dom Bettinelli of the StarQuest Production Network, and we need your help. Over the past year, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Some of our podcasts, like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, are among the most popular shows we've ever produced. But that success is in danger. Creating a dozen shows has caused our expenses to rise, and right now we aren't making ends meet. We must reach the financial break-even point if we're going to continue. If our reserves are depleted, we'll have to cut back many of our shows. We might have to shut down entirely. That's why it's crucial we hear from you right now please go to sqpn.com slash give and click the become a patron button to make your monthly pledge if you're already a supporter please consider increasing your pledge the need is urgent so please go to sqpn.com slash give that's sqpn.com slash give and then so Guinan goes and visits you and and she uh, and she kind of taunts him or you know uh, uh, throws his ideology back at him. She says, you know, well, resistance is not futile. And she, he tells her that um, she's lonely. He tells, actually, no, he tells her, you're lonely like I'm lonely. See, so he's lonely because he's cut off from the collective, which mm-hmm. he's never been cut off from. And he identifies that she's lonely because her people are gone, and he's lonely because he's cut off from his people. So we're alike. She, gets, she doesn't like that yeah. <laughs> very, very much. But it creates this point of connection between them. Yeah. He also is learning from her that he didn't know some of her people got away. So resistance is not entirely futile. That's, right. a, I, that's a game changer for him conceptually. Right. I also love how, the, how they're both, he identifies them both as being lonely. And it's like, even though that, that feeling has existed since the dawn of humanity and probably even before, that word has only existed for 800 years at this point because Shakespeare made it up. Lonely? Yeah, that's oh. a Shakespeare word. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I did not know that. Uh, uh, yeah. Shakespeare has invented a lot of the words you use every day, people. You yep. still don't know it. Uh, so Jordy goes with uh, Jordy and Data go to the quick card to t- tell them about their invasive program that acts like a virus. Um, and it's a, <laughs> it's a, uh, 
<laughs> Parad- uh, what is it? It's a paradoxical spatial topology that will basically shut down the Borg by churning their CPUs trying to solve it. It's, it's yeah, a paradox. So it, it, it's, an, it's an optical illusion, like one of those things. It's more complex than this, and it doesn't really, it's not really an illusion. It's just a fancy shape they made up. Yeah. But it's meant to be like those illusions you see where does this thing have three legs or two? Right. The Nesher drawing, and, yeah. The, yeah, and um, and depending on how you look at it, it has either three legs or two legs. And so this is supposed to put them in an endless loop, and I'm going, you guys are really betting the farm here that the Borg haven't made significant progress on the halting problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any any good futuristic computer system is going to have some kind of initial smell test for could this data put us in an endless loop maybe? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, because Kirk used this one a few times uh, I mean, in the original series. I mean, you, you'd think that the, the Borg would have just, you know, where they could just shuffle it off to like one processor and just let it run on one processor. And when it finishes, it finishes. Yeah. Uh, or or this isn't worth figuring out. Let's allocate how much computer time this is really worth and let maybe yeah. some Borg in some cube somewhere <laughs> think about this. Exactly. Right. But maybe I mean, even not, I have, we all don't need to. Yeah, even I have an app that shuts down when the the CPUs churn on a process more than 20%, it shuts that process down. So <laughs> I'm going to guess the Borg probably has, but we'll, we'll, we'll let him get away with it on this one. We'll assume that Jordy and Data have figured something out. Uh, but Jordy tells Picard about his second thoughts now, and Picard kind of comes back with, like, he's cold. He basically says, uh, this is what he says, this. Centuries ago, when lab animals were used for experiments, scientists would sometimes become attached to the creatures. This would be a problem if the experiment involved killing them. I would suggest that you unattach yourself from the hmm. Borg, Mr. LaForge. Ouch. Ooh, yeah. Space is cold. <laughs> and and this, is, this is significant because Hugh is now thinking of Geordi as his friend. It's like right. his only friend is Geordi. Hmm. Yeah, and, uh, and Geordi has pre- been presented with this moral dilemma of this I'm, I'm, we're about to use this person that I've now that I now recognize as a person as a weapon that will destroy him uh so Guinan now confronts Picard uh and he admits he's as, not even... as he's like in his bathrobe having a drink <laughs> yeah. yeah while the Borg cube is coming towards them yeah well he's gonna take it I mean I know it's yeah. 31 hours away but <laughs> it just doesn't feel right to see the captain so relaxed under those circumstances. They are, you know, the Federation's finest cruise ship, so why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's a little, there's a little too much che- of Patrick Stewart's chest here in that scene. I'm just saying. It was a little distracting. Uh, cover up a little about <laughs> Captain Picard. Uh, but so Guyton confronts him, and he admits he hasn't even talked to Hugh, hasn't even seen him. Um, and when Guyton calls him a person, Picard yells at her that it's not a person. It's a Borg, and but she's not deterred by that, and and so of course he has to give in, and we'll go and talk to him. But uh, uh, she says, "Fine, you know, he, he, I will not alter my plans." She says, "But if you don't talk to him at least once, you may find that decision a harder one to live with than you realize." The implication uh, being, because then you'll never know if you were right for sure. Right, and if you ever regret it, you'll never have that chance to get it back. So the he has Hugh brought to his ready room. Where he confronts him and he tries a trick on Hugh, you know. Well, yeah, the trick is something he seems to come up with on the spot because as soon as Hugh sees him, he says Locutus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he then you see Patrick Stewart kind of stumble mentally for a second, and then he adopts the role of Locutus. 
mm-hmm. and uses it to probe Hugh. So he's right. telling him, yes, I'm Locutus, and we're going to totally assimilate this ship. Your job is to assimilate this ship with us. And I'm going, dude, you are so lucky the writers have not yet thought about Borg infecting people with nanobots, because <laughs> yeah. you could have just triggered a nanobot cascade. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting... I remember as a kid going... Wait a minute. Has Picard really been a Manchurian candidate uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, agent for the Borg this whole time? <laughs> uh, th- that was that was a little scary for you as a kid. But uh, so, but it's this interesting thing. And he wants to trick Hugh into revealing himself, but Hugh doesn't fall for it. And then when Hugh uses the pronoun I, and like as you said, that was there was that earlier mistake in the script. But he uses that I. That's what changes Picard's mind. That's the key moment. The I, you know, in, in the title, mm-hmm. I Borg. Uh, that yeah. he realizes he, he is an actual individual here. He, he after reasoning through, Jordy must not die. Jordy is a friend. Jordy does not want to be assimilated. He'd rather die, and he can't die. He then announces, "I will not assist you." Right, mm-hmm. right, and, and I mean that's a. This is the the emotional climactic moment of this of this story. This is the big moment, and this is what changes everything. And so Picard, being Picard, comes up with the idea of Hugh. Not going back as a computer virus to destroy the Borg, but with a different kind of viral package that will spread his experience of individuality as a kind of self-realization virus, you might say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like if only the Borg could assimilate somebody who had an experience of individuality before they were assimilated. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, no. that's every single person they've ever assimilated. Right, right. <laughs> How is this new? That's true. Uh, well, it's new only in that it's an experience of individuality by someone who was already a Borg. Right. right. So I assume the logic is going to be they have uh, – this is the only way to rationally headcanon it as far as I can see. They have individuality ig- – ignore feelings of individuality for people who are not already Borg filters mm-hmm. that keep them from experiencing it as they're assimilated. But if you are already a Borg and have the Borg implants in you, they just hook you up again without using that filter. Right. We and then help. when they realize, oh, his memory's been compromised, we better wipe that. But you've still had momentary experience of individuality. Yep. And apparently this has effect all the way into the Delta Quadrant, where we see that there are many, many Borg drones who have the, We had that episode in Voyager where they're you all living. Zero. Yes. They have, yeah, they have the uh, virtual reality version of themselves. Um, so Picard gives Hugh the chance. It's his decision to decide whether to go back or to stay. And he decides to go back to sacrifice himself to save the Enterprise crew, which and to save Geordi specifically, right? Yep. And I mean, and I would say that's the most human moment. The, yes, the, the the moment we are most human is when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. No greater love has a man than if we lay, willing to lay him, his life down for his friends. That's what right. Jesus said. And that's er, earlier, Picard had said that we wouldn't. He decided to go back on the genocide plan because it, we would be no better than them. It, that we're given that we're using this guy now that he's a fully realized individual. And I'm going. I'm not sure he's so fully realized. But when he gets to the moment of I'm willing to sacrifice myself for my friend, okay, he is a fully realized individual now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I, I, that's that might be my favorite moment in in the in this, uh, this episode is that moment of you know that that 
that willing to die for someone else. I mean, and that's really that moment uh, that really should set Picard back and everyone else back and change how they perceive the, the Borg uh, in, in Borg drones. Um, so they're going to put him back on the moon and then they're going to hide from the, the scout ship. But and Jordy decides he wants to stay with Hugh uh, on the on the surface of the planet and wait stay with him while he, they wait for the scout ship because they rationalize that the Borg assimilate civilizations, not individuals. This is so stupid. I don't <laughs> get that. Yeah, except yeah. when they do, <laughs> like they've assimilated individuals and individual ships all over the place. Yeah. Well, they so the I I mean the idea they're going for I guess is that. Right now, the Borg are not actively seeking to assimilate humanity. Therefore, they don't care about an individual until the assimilate humanity order is given again. Mm-hmm. Right. Although, but you know, that's still stupid. Yeah, because oh, this the Borg is smart enough to say, "Oh, look, a Star Trek officer is, uh, I mean, a Starfleet officer is wandering around on this. Maybe there's another Starfleet ship around. I mean, they're not idiots. <laughs> they are yeah. a giant computer. <laughs> uh, so anyway." Uh, we th- what it does is it gives us that emotional uh, resolution with uh, with Hugh and Jordy, and so the the drones from the scout ship come down. They 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 hook up to Hugh. They they apparently we get the that supposed to be like doing the mind wipe. Well, no, th- I think at that moment they're they're using the power socket on his arm. I think they're feeding him because they assume he's been hungry for all this mm. time. Well, uh, yeah, although I get the sense, because what happens is as as Hugh is beamed away to the Borg ship, he looks directly at Geordi, which seems to surprise Geordi that he's able to do that. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's supposed to be this idea is like, wait, he retained his individuality. Like, yes. And and that's really the... Uh, so something is, ha- is supposed to have happened and didn't. Uh, and so now he's an individual among the the Borg. And I think mm-hmm. that's the idea. And we will find out later on in, at the end of season six that, indeed, his cube got infected by individuality and their command structure fell apart. And then Hugh became, by the open era of season seven, Hugh became a leader of his mm-hmm. little mini collective. Right. Yeah. And in, in fact, the, this plan, Picard's plan, didn't work and wouldn't have worked uh, either way, because as soon as the cube was was infected, the collective disconnected it from, from the, the rest of the collective. Uh, but what happens is, is Data's brother Lore finds it and takes over, and uh, that's the two-parter descent in Descent Part Two that we'll yeah. talk about at some point. Not my favorite two-parter. No, no, no. So I want to kind of talk a little bit. Uh, well, first, any do you have any notes left on this episode? Because there's something I want additional. I want to say uh, nope. about Father. Nope, nothing here. I had a few things. Um, notice the way that Borg names have evolved. So. The first Borg name we ever heard was Locutus of Borg. Yes. And, um, and, you know, Picard's name is a Borg. And obviously that's meant to sound science fiction-y with the cutest part and, mm-hmm. and also sounds kind of like computery or like electrocute. And then the loke part is going to, for many people, conjure um, Latin associations for the verb yep. to speak. Right. Loquor. And so an interlocutor is a person you're talking with. And so on some level, Locutus is the one who speaks for the Borg to humanity. However, it's also in Locutus in Latin is a perfect active participle that means having said. 
And mm. so it's always a little distracting to me that, oh, there's <laughs> having said. Yeah. <laughs> And then we get these numerical designations, which I guess makes sense. Uh, you know, they might have, I don't know why they'd have a special name for Locutus, I guess, to make him an easier face for humanity mm -hmm. as they're about to be assimilated. But an ordinary Borg, having numbers makes sense. Although notice third of five, it's, a, uh, it's an ordinal number mm -hmm. rather than a cardinal number like seven of nine, unless yeah. I said that backwards. Right. So there's a little, little shifting around of the name, naming conventions there. Q, uh, there are several points where I think the logic regarding the Borg is choppy. Uh, we mentioned the they're not going to assimilate you because you're just an individual. Another one is earlier on, as they're examining Hugh, he's like, what are you doing? What's a doctor? And Crusher says, a doctor is a person who heals the sick and injured. And he's like, the sick and injured are reabsorbed and others take their places. So you just implied anyone who gets a cold is going to be killed and right. cannibalized and someone else will replace them. That is not an efficient use of resources. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, a really, truly uh, powerful, smart, unstoppable race would not kill all of the sick and injured. Um, it would use its it advanced technology to repair them. Yeah. Then we have Guinan telling, uh, telling Geordi that uh, when Hugh's big brothers come looking for him, they will not stop looking for Hugh until they find him. And I'm going, why? Really? Why? <laughs> I mean, again, yeah. this is a resource question. Are you going to invest potentially unlimited resources scouring the galaxy for one teenage drone? You know, that doesn't. So I think the logic is, is choppy with the Borg. Yeah. On the other hand, I really love some of the dialogue. I, I, I love the acting in this. I think it's a great episode. Um, and I, I love, in particular, some of the dialogue, like when they're examining Hugh and Crusher is explaining, you know, we want to run some perceptual tests on you. And Hugh is like, you will be assimilated. And Jordy is like, yes, but before that happens, can we ask you a few <laughs> questions? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Uh so one thing I want to kind of talk about, a little speculation here, is what role, what part, I don't mean role in the literal acting sense, what part do you think he will play in the new Picard series based on the very little information we have about the series? It, it, just to sort of recap, it takes place, you know, 30 some odd years after the, uh, the la or 20 some odd years after the last events of Next Generation, the last generation, Next Generation movie. Picard's retired. He's called back out of retirement because of something having to do, perhaps, with the Borg of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, what What do you think? Did you have any idea? Do you have any speculation that you want to make on what do you think Hugh's role will be in the new Picard series? Father? I I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, it could be anything from, like, a Borg civil war to the Borgs have split into factions and mm. stuff going on. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we know Seven of Nine will also be in it because she was in the trailer. Yes. Right. Uh, but true. beyond that, I wouldn't have a clue, honestly. Jimmy, what do you, do you any any thoughts? Just some vague ones. Uh, one of the things we know is that, based on images that have been released in trailers, is and and so forth, is that there's apparently a captive Borg cube that's yeah. heavily damaged. And um, it's apparently being run as a detention facility by Romulans and humans, because we see 
like Romulan symbols on it, and we see human writing that says, this facility hasn't had an assimilation in so many days. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and and so given given that, it looks like the Federation has this captive Borg ship. They're keeping people in detention, and Hugh and Seven of Nine, as as former Borg drones, are presumably playing some kind of advisory or facilitating role in what do we do with this thing, and mm. how do we manage mm. this contact with the Borg. Maybe there is something, maybe we're going to see opening negotiations of some sort with the Borg collective as a whole. Um, but I think whatever it is, I think Q and Seven of Nine are going to be playing some kind of uh, facilitating role in the plot between humanity and the Borg. And also I have indication that Hugh has indeed become a leader of some faction of Borg based on uh, the way his character arc was left at the beginning of season seven and based on things the actor has subsequently said. There's also apparently this, this character of, of a young woman who uh, Picard and others sort of talk about as if she has uh, yeah. some very important role to play, right. more powerful than you can possibly imagine, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which have led some to speculate that she's also a former drone who, and perhaps a, a, a Borg queen replacement who yeah. has been individualized of some sort. And so maybe he plays a role in that, in that factionalism. So she got, she got the Royal jelly, but someone mixed individualism in it. Maybe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wonder if she was a little green baby. Anyway, that's something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, that's so that's interesting, uh, folks. I'd love to, we'd love to hear your theories. Uh, before we, we close out, though, we do have a little bit of feedback, which is particularly relevant to uh, to both uh, you, you uh, Father Corey and Jimmy, because it has to do with the episode you talked about, the comparison of Deep Space Nine yes. and uh, yeah. um, Babylon Five. I was about to say Andromeda, but that's a wholly different show. Mm. <laughs> So Brian Lewandowski on YouTube writes, Garibaldi firing something from a steam pipe to the rubber suit monster, to me, harkens back to the Star Trek episode Arena, when Kirk fights the rubber suit Gorn creature and builds a weapon using bamboo pipe thingy, and he just fires and defeats the creature, saving the day. As someone yeah. rewatching Babylon 5, I appreciate the comparisons since I've seen Deep Space Nine. So, well, very by, yeah. by the way, real quick point about that episode arena, you know, of course, it's the famous rocks. Vasquez rocks. I have been Vasquez, there. Well, there, there was a Los Angeles. Uh, tweet just yeah. the other day where they finally they've wrapped up Picard and it's the, the producer of Picard series standing in front of those rocks. So. Oh, awesome. Oh, oh, I wonder if he goes and fights a Gorn there. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, know, if you go to Vasquez rocks, it's a it's a park. It's like yeah. a wildlife park or something. And there are signs that say, beware of rattlesnakes. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to say that episode, a lot, we got a lot of great feedback on your, your, your episode. We talked about Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. Uh, people, people really enjoyed that. And uh, we really do appreciate that. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to put together and talk about, I know. It was a lot of fun to do. By the way, I just, this has just been released. J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, has now published his autobiography. Mm -hmm. It is called Becoming Superman, which is a metaphor in the book. You understand why as he tells his life story and it progresses. And it's a very interesting read. Uh, I had known, I got the audiobook version, which is read by Peter Jurisic, the actor who played Londo. Mm -hmm. 
And I had known from things Straczynski had said over the years that he had a rough upbringing, that his family moved around a lot, and that he had known women in his family to be physically abused, not sexually, but physically. Mm -hmm. And wow, I had no idea. Yeah. His background was much rougher than I had been had imagined. And there are actual war crimes involved. Oh, wow. Mm. And so it is it is very interesting to see what he overcame to become a successful author and showrunner and script writer and comic book writer and all that to achieve the success he has given where he came from. It's really amazing. Hmm. Just wanted to mention that it also has some interesting revelations in it. Like one of the things Father Corey and I talked about is the extent to which Deep Space Nine was a ripoff of Babylon 5. Right. And for a long time, Straczynski's position was that he thought the higher up suits uh, may have steered the development of Deep Space Nine towards being like Babylon 5, but the actual producers didn't know that's what was happening. Right. Well, uh, like three years ago, uh, a, a guy who was on the inside at, uh, at Paramount came forward and said, oh, no, it was much more conscious than that. Oh, wow. And, um, and so, uh, so the book covers that. Also, the book covers... Um, why the Crusade series that was the spinoff of um, of Babylon Five? Why that got aborted and turned into a miniseries? That's been a big question for years. Mm. Uh, but Straczynski, now that he's talking directly to the public, he says, "Here's what happened." And mm. uh, so it's a very interesting read for fans of Babylon Five or Straczynski's other work. But it does go to some dark places. Okay, I'm sure. uh, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, on that. Um, and by the way, you can now watch Babylon Five on Amazon uh, Prime uh, streaming. Nice, it's available to, to to Prime members, so that's good. It used to be available uh, other places, but uh, now it's in a more mainstream, uh, so to speak, uh, location. <laughs> so uh, before we finish out, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including John G, Amanda M, Pear. H, sorry if I'm mispronouncing, that's P-E-R, uh, per, uh, Lisa H, and Stephen H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it from us. So what do you think of iBorg in this episode? Uh, what was, was, was it one of your favorites, maybe? Um, what did you think of what we had to say about it? And what do you think uh, about what's going to be happening with Hugh in the new Picard series? You can let us know any of that by visiting sqpn.com slash trek, the SQPN Facebook page, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, A Man Alone. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. Uh, and Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. Live long and prosper, and so it begins. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the dehumanization of the enemy has been the cause and excuse of much evil. <laughs>